Kia ora everybody, namaskar, greetings, thank you so much for joining me, Joshin here and I'd really like to welcome a friend of mine, Shailaja Pandindala. Yeah, Pandindala. Pandindala, Parind- isn't it got a lovely rhythm to it and um, she's visiting here and I had the pleasure of getting to know her a little bit and wanting to share some of her amazing story on this podcast, so welcome. Thank you, Jill, thank you so much. So normally on this podcast, I ask a person, um, what's your background? Tell us a bit about your background. Yeah, um, so I'm a filmmaker and an artist. And um, I started as a painter in uh, 2009. I studied painting and uh, most of my work uh, paintings were about sexuality uh, because that was the point when I was just... Uh, beginning to understand my sexuality as a queer person. I identify uh, as a lesbian with the pronouns she and her. So uh, later after uh, painting uh, school, I joined film school and started taking films as a dear medium for me. And yeah, so uh, while actually studying painting, I started uh, watching a lot of movies, you know, and uh, I wanted to understand if there are any queer movies because I mm-hmm. was just be- uh, beginning to understand my sexuality. Yeah. And I started researching a, a lot about uh, queer films. And in India, uh, I come from India. So uh, in India, queer expression is very taboo. And mm-hmm. there were no movies that actually showed the progressiveness of queerness and stuff like that. And they were all portrayed in a very derogatory light. Yeah. So um, at that point of time, uh, I was very, very... Uh, ashamed of myself because of the portrayal of uh, gay people in in the cinema industry and the taboo that it had. So, yeah. um, but then I uh, came across a couple of Western queer films, and then I I I started getting courage uh, to mm. accept who I was, and mm. I started really really falling in love with my identity mm. and accepting myself. Mm. So uh, that's when I understood that film films have such a great impact on the collective you know and I wanted to be one of those filmmakers who can make films for the oppressed and when they watch my films I wanted them to not feel alone and feel Mm. empowered so that's how I did filmmaking so after painting school I went into film school and uh, studied film uh, as a part of my academic study and um, where was it that was in LV Prasad Film and TV Academy in Chennai Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked as a camera person in a news channel for yeah. nearly six years. And I, I saw the reality of politics, reality of uh, the crime, reality of uh, so many aspects of uh, human beings in, in a very close proximity, yeah. you know. And I really like the narrative that uh, the news brings to it, you know, the way it is shot and uh, everything is very candid, you know. Yes. So I wanted to bring this kind of narrative mm. within films, mm-hmm. you know. And and I made uh, Memories of a Machine in 2016, which talks about uh, child sexuality. But the film was um, created a lot of controversy when I had made it and uh, it went very viral. And I chose that the candidness and non-glamour, glamorous approach mm. to the narrative because I had a background of uh, news, you know, making news videos. Yes. So, um, yeah, that was brilliant, by the way. Thank you. I was amazed and very beautifully surprised by that, the naturalness of it, the spontaneity of it. 
Thank but you. the very profound message that it gave. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. So that's how 2016 Memories of a Machine happened. Check it out, everybody. It's on YouTube. Yes, yes. Yes, Memories of a Machine. Memories of a Machine, yes. So um, so later, after making Memories of a Machine, uh, I understood that um, I had the potential to make more films. Mm. And uh, I made Karnataka's first lesbian love story, a feature film called Nanu Ladies, which means I'm a lady. This film is actually a... Um, it is about my real journey, you know, mm. as a queer person. Yeah. So uh, I I have a very non-heteronormative appearance, you know. So in India, there is a lot of, uh, uh, you know, categories for in public toilets or in uh, public transport, like the lady ladies have to be in one compartment yeah. and the men have to be in one compartment. So whenever I got into women compartment, I was all, always asked to go to the men's compartment because people would mistake me to be a boy. And uh, uh, like my standard uh, sentence to all all people <laughs> would be, I'm a lady, nano ladies, you know? <laughs> so that's how uh, I made nano ladies, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a journey about my life. And it's actually about uh, two women, how they fall in love and uh, try to cope with their relationship amid a um, structure, socio-political structure as it is in India. You yes. know? So uh, the film also, Nano Ladies also uh, talks about uh, caste, it talks mm. about uh, class, it talks about uh, the uh, kind of rigid heteronormative a uh, portrayal of women that is brought into uh, a film industry of India, you know. Mm. So I wanted to break away from all this and I made Nanu Ladies, you know, very small budget with uh, uh, new actors. And mm. um, it was premiered in 2021 in Seattle and mm -hmm. is still traveling uh, mm. in all the film festivals and uh, hopefully will be uh, released on the digital platform, uh, OTT platforms this year. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's Look how nano. That. Yeah, that's how nano ladies happened. One interesting thing we we have been talking about in that you're you're in my place and, and vegetarian, and you were saying something so interesting about the the, the, the caste system and the vegetarianism. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. want to just share a little bit about that? Definitely, yes. Uh, in India, um, India is a, a, a largely very conservative country. Mm -hmm. You know, at this mm -hmm. point of time. Uh, the politics of India are driven a lot based on religion. You know? mm -hmm. And uh, in uh, Hinduism, uh, there's a lot of caste system, like the upper caste uh, and the lower caste. Mm -hmm. you know? And the upper caste uh, do not consume meat mm -hmm. you know, as a part of their diet. And um, it is, uh, they w uh, worship cow to be a very sacred animal. Yeah. So um, between these religious uh, dilemmas and political dilemmas the lower caste the indigenous the tribes who live in india are getting kind of oppressed because the upper caste doesn't uh, consume meat you know mm -hmm. and they're trying to entrust uh, uh, a ban uh, against beef because uh, there are india is a diverse country it's not just made of hindus it is it, it's made of many languages many cultures many religions also and there's a large part of christians and muslims in in india who consume beef you know and um, it, it's it's a taboo it's almost a taboo to be eating beef 
So uh, there's this kind of looking down on a person who eats meat or like especially beef in India, you know. So um, right now it's like a political statement for people in India, the indigenous, the tribes and the backward, the oppressed caste and communities to eat meat so that they they actually, you know, uh, it's, it's a way of saying that we are here, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. to the government and it, it's like um, uh, the intention of not wanting to eat meat uh, in other parts of the world comes from a completely not wanting to be uh, violent towards other uh, creatures you know so that is completely understood but in India it has slowly shifted from that intent it has shifted to an in, uh, intention where they kind of uh, differentiating between people and bringing uh, division between people because of food. Mm. Because uh, food is what connects all of us as human beings, you know. So Mm. I think it is that inclusion and diversity because uh, like a meat-eating community is called uh, non-veg, you know. Vegetarian is called vegetarian and meat-eating communities are called non-vegetarian, you know. So it's... um, so it, a lot of these expressions are d- driven by caste. And in fact, it gets to uh, such an extent that sometimes when we want to take a, a re- house for rent, it, the landlord asks us, if uh, are you vegetarian or non-vegetarian? Yeah. So if we are meat-eating communities, they don't want to give it because they are from a non uh, meat eating community yeah, you know? so that you. that kind of becomes like a mandate and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. there is no in- inclusivity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you were telling me also this interesting situation about if, as a woman being able to rent a place and how that's some kind of restrictive because as a solo woman mm-hmm. renting, um, mm-hmm. it's not the same as if you are married. And so yes, it, yes. it's very different. Yes. In India, uh, like a single woman would uh, be considered um, uh, like a woman who has no uh, husband who is not married is considered like, uh, it's a taboo to be that way, you know. Mm. So in Indian culture, like the moment you are a young adult, you uh, after eighteen, they expect you to become be married, you know. Yeah. And either you your life should be dictated either by your father or your husband. There has to be a male role, you know. Yeah. And if you're too old, then there should be a son who's dictating your life, you know. <laughs> so so it's it's uh, like. Uh, if if uh, a woman is uh, single and she wants to rent a house, most of the um, landlords like kind of uh, ask, "Are you married?" And if I say no, I'm not married, then they look at me like, I, "Oh, she's not married. She and she's 35. She should. She must be a prostitute." And then <laughs> they give these kind of rules uh, that uh, mm-hmm. men are not allowed after so and so time. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's really funny that uh, uh, those landlords think that anything can can happen uh, only after that so-and-so time <laughs> you know so it's like it's it's really funny how Indians believe in certain aspects it's, it's uh, it, uh, the progression is a little slow in the country right yeah now. yeah and um what's you're telling me some amazing projects you're thinking of embarking on when you go back yes to Pondicherry yes yes so um, uh, there is this wonderful place called Pondicherry in South India, which is a Union territory. Uh, it's a it, it's a French colony, and also Tamil Nadu government is involved in that. 
so what uh, in in pondicherry uh, there has not been any queer uh, community or uh, a space for queer people to be who we are you know mm-hmm. and uh, it's a brilliant place though because there are a lot of foreigners come there and uh, it has a lot of diversity in its culture mm-hmm. and there is um, uh, a lot of art that is going on in pondicherry so i was planning to start a, a little mm-hmm. community where uh, queer people can come and share their artwork stories experiences and uh, we are uh, and and i i am looking at shaping the community into becoming a space where, uh, where more oppressed people not just the queer you know any oppressed community mm-hmm. uh, should be able to come and include themselves you yeah. know? so i am also planning to uh, name the communities include mm-hmm. yeah nice so yeah um, sure. Tell me anything else that comes to mind that you want to speak about. Yeah. So I would like to tell about my coming out story. Oh, yeah. Mm. So when I was uh, about uh, 18, I started uh, uh, as a painter. I studied in uh, Karnataka Chitra Kala Parishat, um, Fine Arts. And at this point of time, I was just realizing my sexuality. And uh, uh, when I went and told one of... Uh, my friends that I was gay, she like bullied me and I was feeling very lonely. It was so terrible. Mm. Mm. But then uh, I understood like when I started reading about Da Vinci, Frida Kahlo, I understood like some of the most revolutionary artists were queer. And that's when I started feeling less alone. Mm. And um, uh, I went and told my father, uh, for some reason I thought he would understand. So I went and told my father that I was queer, but then it was such a bad scene. He beat me up so badly. And um, I left home and ran away uh, when I was about 20, 22. Mm-hmm. So um, I lived with a, a scientist who whose name is Dr. Sudha Premanath, who is my very dear mentor. Mm-hmm. And she was she was actually researching about uh, animals, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was the one who told me that. Uh, uh, there is queerness in all species, yes. you know, but it's only the human beings who have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was a brilliant eye opener. And thanks to uh, Sudhanti for that. Um, so uh, after that, I uh, joined the news and I had a had my first relationship, live in relationship. And uh, uh, my ex's father had uh, accused me of running a brothel and put a false case on me and got the cops to take me. You know, I was about 23. And that was like the completely turning point. Oh. And I was very young and I was very scared. And this was in 2012. And 2000, in 2012, uh, Section 377 was actually decriminalized. The Section 377 that was brought by the British, it was actually decriminalized. So they couldn't actually take me as a queer person. Mm. They, that's why they took a false uh, uh, took mm. me with a false accusation that I was running a brothel without verifying the complaint. Nothing. Yeah. And I was too young, and I did not know my rights as a queer person, as a uh, woman, and I was so scared. But there was one um, activist uh, advocate who came and, like, you know, solved this problem. And she asked the police where the if there was a uh, verified complaint that there is registered, but the police had nothing. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, I walked out of the police station. And then at that point of time, I knew it was so important for every individual of the country to know their rights. Yeah. You know? And uh, so that's when I uh, took up activism as a very uh, integral part of my work. And I use films as a tool for my activism. Yes. You know? 
and not just uh, my films, my mu- uh, like music, art, mm-hmm. and all forms of art mm-hmm. as a tool for activism. Mm-hmm. And um, at this point of time, uh, um, you know, there was a huge turning point for me. And um, I actually started participating in protests, in pride walks, in uh, rescuing queer people and uh, the oppressed communities when they were in crisis against the law and uh, against, uh, I mean, against the police, because the police, uh, moral policing is too much in India. Mm -hmm. The police are really, really, um, in most parts of uh, India, the police are very uh, violent and uh, Mm -hmm. authoritarian, you know, so... Um, there is a kind of fear in collective when you say a cop, you know, because mm-hmm. actually you should be like feeling much safe when yeah. you say a cop, but mm-hmm. it's completely opposite. Mm-hmm. You know? At this point of time, uh, I started my activism in 2013. Uh, I did my first pride walk in Madurai and it was like hardly a couple of like 30, 40 people. You know, and <laughs> yeah. today in 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of queer people mm-hmm. like me have joined hands and yeah. we worked so hard that mm. today, like in uh, 2021 uh, June, when the pride happened in Chennai, it was a sea of people. And this <laughs> is a wow. huge leap for us as wow. a country and for Amazing. us as a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So that was my coming out story. And uh, it's been 10 years now. My parents are kind of uh, okay with uh, who I am. They don't completely understand, especially my father. But then they don't have much say. I think once you become financially independent uh, and uh, uh, an individual has financial freedom, all the other freedom follow with that. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, In that video you made, the the, the song you made, Vote Haki. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Vote to Haki is a part of uh, my film, Nanu Ladies. And the Vote to Haki song is written and composed by me. And I also danced mm-hmm. in that song. Uh, so in India, in Indian media and in, in Indian uh, cinema, a woman is, uh, a good woman is portrayed to be something, somebody who's very traditional and, you know, abiding to the rules of men. But, um, a bad woman is uh, po- portrayed to like you know rebel and all that you know so so the song actually kind of uh, sums up uh, to how the mm. irony of the system is yeah. you know and mm. and it's a it's a kind of queer song because there's this girl who's dancing but she will never like cater to male gaze mm. in that you know in her appearance or her words or her behavior so um it's a brilliant song by the way thank you so mm. much so it's about the political system it's like a dark comedy in yeah the it song, is yeah you know and it's uh, brilliant thank you so in 2020 i released this song as a separate album song but it's also part of nanu ladies mm, brilliant thank you yeah i wanted to ask you a little bit more about your relationship with music yes uh, i've never been trained academically in music but uh, music has been a very very close part close aspect of my existence mm-hmm. and um like painting and filmmaking or theater, uh, all these, I, I believe these are all like, you know, different kind of uh, tools, like attempting to say the same thing. You know? yeah. So it's like uh, you write, a, if you choose music, you choose to paint with a brush, but if you choose to make uh, films, then you choose to use a knife 
to yeah. do painting. So there's just a difference in medium, that's it. But the intent is the same, you know. So uh, I was self-taught guitarist when I was young and I used to uh, take my little guitar to my school so I can get the attention of my female peers in school. <laughs> uh, but then as I spent more time with my guitar and in music, yeah, it became beyond impressing somebody. Mm. It became in understanding about myself, mm -hmm. understanding the other mm. through music, you know, mm. and... Uh, I'm not like a great musician when compared to like so many other great musicians, mm. but um, it does drive me. Music completely drives me and defines my existence today. Mm. So mm. if I'm not able to make music, I'm always at least listening to music. Mm -hmm. So music is a very, very integral part of my life. And Joshna, I love your music. I love the way you have weave music into your life. You wake up in the morning and start your day with singing. You know, and that's, that's amazing. Yeah, you've introduced me to some wonderful um, Indian musicians too. Do you want to just name a few of those that have influenced you? Absolutely. I think A. R. Rahman. Uh, I think the whole world knows that. Yeah, A. R. Rahman is one of the most wonderful musician of uh, India, and um, Eli Raja, sir. Uh, Eli Raja is uh, from mm -hmm. the oppressed cast mm -hmm. mm. and uh, uh, in India a certain kind of music like Carnatic music and classical music is like you know taught to only the upper castes mm. you know and uh, Eli Raja sir like had to really struggle his way through as coming from the oppressed community op oppressed caste to become who is he is today you know mm. and mm. he was the first one first person from India who combined Indian classical with the Western classical and and gave music a new form and direction to mm. us. And mm. today he's actually uh, even uh, A.R. Rahman looks up to him as a mentor. You know, mm. And uh, yeah, so Ilai Raja sir is not just a musician, he's a statement and mm -hmm. he is an emotion for the country. Mm. He's not just a human. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, normally we end with a song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you could sing no how about you can you sing a, a little something or sure um i'm not a great singer though please excuse my no it'll be it'll be lovely um so this is by uh farida khanum it's a guzzle and uh it's one of my favorite songs <laughs> Zid na karo, aaj jaane ki zid na karo. Hai mar jaenge, ham to rut jaenge. Aisi baate kiya na karo. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank I really you. appreciate that. Thanks for sharing your life with us. Thank you.